Hey everyone, this is James from Film to Film bringing you another episode of the Lao Car Lung Project. And today is, uh, I'm slightly nervous for it, but this is kind of a big episode for this project because we are covering the most iconic Lao Car Lung film, um, especially if we're to exclude Legend of the Drunken Master, The 36th Chamber of Shaolin, 1978. Um, yeah, so this is an absolutely iconic film. Perhaps the film most associated with Shaw Brothers or Lao Kar Long. If you were to Google either of those uh, companies and kind of look up their most famous films, this film, if it's not coming in first, it's coming in two or three. So this is a film uh, that, of course, is famous for that. But not only uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, um, a bunch of references in there. Uh, they, they reference Wu-Tang versus Shaolin probably a touch more than this film. But, you know, it's a, a pivotal film and an essential film for any person interested in martial arts films i'd say this is probably the film to start with for most people i think depending on the person of course there are different entry points i think for myself even i would gravitate towards something like a diagram pole fighter but i think this film has kind of like the most uh, broad most general appeal and could uh, be seen by a lot of different people Okay, uh, so a quick synopsis, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about why to watch this film. So the synopsis I wrote here is a student's families and friends are massacred by the Manchurians uh, in the Qing Dynasty. He manages to get away and learn Kung Fu in the Shaolin Temple before going back to his hometown, uh, where he both uh, starts to recruit different people and take uh, some sort of revenge on the Manchurians from the first act. Okay, uh, simple enough. It's a very simple story, and I think that's one of the reasons why this film is so accessible. Why to watch this film? Uh, in my opinion, I, I agree with much of the consensus of the film. This is an essential watch for anyone interested in the film. It's a phenomenal film. I think it holds up really, really well. It's an underdog kung fu story about really someone learning martial arts, but in the process, really bettering themselves and overcoming adversity to really achieve something in the warrior world. Um, and it really is a journey movie. It's about the importance of will and learning, um, and the film holds up wonderfully. wonderfully. And so, again, this film is uh, perfectly enjoyable on its own. You don't need a lot of commentary around it. In fact, if you haven't seen it, I'd probably recommend stop this podcast, go watch the film, and then if you want to learn some more, you can listen to the rest of this podcast. Um, but I want to just provide a little more context and things to enjoy uh, or appreciate beyond that. And I think that's one of the main goals of this podcast is to, you know, not just re-say uh, all the plot elements, but talk a little bit about like kind of those second or third order things that could be going on to talk a little bit about the history of the film. So again, huge hit in Hong Kong at the time, uh, right off the bat. Um, and I don't think this is like necessarily the 100% best way to measure this, but it's a really fast way that I like to see kind of how the film is perceived in at least um, mostly English-speaking uh, circles. So I looked at Letterboxd and saw how many people had seen this film, and it was 29,000. Uh, the next most commonly seen Lao Kar Lung film, again, I'm excluding Legend of the Drunken Master, is the 9,000 uh, that have seen uh, H.I. Arm Full Fighter, and then it falls off really fast. There's a lot of 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 sorts of movies, and something like Marshall Club, which is one of my favorite long films, and the next film uh, we will be covering here uh, has only been seen by uh, under 1,000 people, which is crazy to me. So uh, way more people have seen this film than other films, and even compared to uh, some of his contemporaries, I looked at uh, the films like Come Drink With Me by King Hu and uh, The Five Venoms, from Zhang Chur, which is the most seen uh, Zhang Chur film on Letterboxd. 13,000 people have seen The Venoms, 
11,000 have seen come drink with me. So again, 36 Chamber of Shaolin reigns there. It's over twice the amount as the second most seen. Uh, so very, very popular film. Um, and I think uh, well-deserved. Uh, and for me, at least, I also kind of see this film. Uh, this is the fourth film that Lal Karn Lung directed. So after Execution of Shaolin, it's sort of like the handoff year between Zhang Zhe and Lal Karn Lung. 1978, huge year for martial arts films. Things, uh, trends are starting, trends are ending, that sort of thing. Zhang Zhe had a couple really personal favorites of mine, but I think great Shaw Brothers films that came out this year, Five Deadly Venoms, of course, and Crippled Avengers. Um, but this film, I think, is, uh, I believe, was the top grossing Shaw Brothers film of the year. And uh, from this point forward, really, Zhang Zhe's career, while I am a fan of a lot of those Five Venom films, they weren't nearly as successful as the films of Lao Karn Long, and especially not of uh, what Golden Harvest was up to uh, with people like Sam Hung, Jackie Chan. Uh, so his career was going one way, and Lao Karn Long's career at this point was still going up. And so this film, uh, massive hit, um, big, big hit of Hong Kong at the time. And uh, one interesting uh, sort of anecdote that I picked up in listening to some of the Arrow uh, extra features with Tony Raines, who is always great, uh, is he talked a bit about uh, TV in Hong Kong at the time and how Shaw Brothers were really protective over their films, and they really rarely showed them on kind of uh, broadcasted them on TV and things like that, even though they had kind of their uh, TVB, their own channel and, and whatnot, uh, just being afraid of pirates and all that stuff. And there was one year, and I forget the exact holiday, but it, I think it was Christmas or New Year's, and uh, they uh, decided that they were going to show this film. And it was just a big, massive event. And that's just such a totally different world from ours with streaming and all that things. But um, yeah, it's a, it's really interesting um, to hear that uh, because now it's like with the uh, how technology has gone and just the world in general, it's like I watched the Arrow Blu-ray of this and it, it looks wonderful. It looks fantastic. And to imagine it being such a huge uh, event to have a bunch of people crammed cramming around sort of old, crappy, uh, early 1980s TVs to watch this film. I don't even know if it would have been, well, it probably would have been in color. But uh, nonetheless, it, it, it shows kind of the level of access that we have now and how much easier it is to be a fan of <clears throat> a lot of these films than it used to be. So I, I really think we live in a wonderful world in terms of access, at least. Um, yeah, so again, uh, compared to the films, I think, of his contemporaries, it really does have a wonderful populist appeal. If you see a lot of Shaw Brothers like this, this one isn't, it's a simple story. It doesn't, it's, and that's not always the case for a lot of these films. Like, for instance, the films of Chor Yuen, which are also good, uh, they tend to be like labyrinthine, labyrinth plots and, and just extremely, extremely complicated. But compared to someone like Zhang Zhe, uh, this film is not hyper-violent or super masculine um, and super all about the brotherhood. Personally, I like Zhang Cher almost just as much as Lao Kar Lung, but you can certainly admit that those um, the themes that he would explore over and over again uh, don't have the kind of uh, more general appeal that someone like Lao Kar Lung does. And someone like King Hu, who I also adore, uh, his, his films are filled with, uh, they're kind of like the film buff films. They're filled with more visual poetry and things like that. They're very dense, and I, I love those films too. Um, and they certainly have uh, an important place in uh, just kind of just being great films, but in martial arts history as well. But uh, I, th I think compared to them, uh, Lao Kar Long is very, very accessible. Um, I would also say this is 
uh, while this is not even my necessarily favorite Lau Kar Lung film, this is probably the best Shaw Brothers film to show to the most amount of people um, because it is so straightforward and it is kind of like this very universal story. I've seen a lot of people compare it to sports movies, uh, comparing it to uh, uh, video games even with the different chambers and things like that. Um, so uh, it, it has that kind of um, structure that's, you know, it's just very, very easy to follow and the storytelling of it is very well done. Okay, so going to get into some of the talking points here. And again, a film that uh, if you wanted to stop here and come back to these talking points after you've seen the film, absolutely recommend that. Uh, these are not essential to enjoy the film. You do not need to, uh, I feel like if you approach like a Jean-Luc Godard film, I, I often feel super confused after <laughs> watching his films and not understanding everything. This film, perfectly understandable. The, the film language and things like that are universal. It's a very visual film. And so... Uh, while there are certain cultural elements in there, it's uh, it's a film that uh, is really uh, easy to enjoy. Okay, so there's a lot of different Shaolin films, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about where this will fit in. So the majority of films that are about Shaolin uh, or take place in the Shaolin Temple have the Shaolin Temple as kind of like this anti-Qing dynasty thing, sometimes pro-Ming. Ming dynasty was the dynasty before the Qing uh, that had a lot of, um, uh, that, that was more Han Chinese and the Manchurians were the Qing dynasty, so uh, Han, not Hans. Uh, <clears throat> so this film um, kind of takes place before a lot of those films. A lot of those films will start with kind of the burning of the Shaolin Temple. Some good examples there are a lot of the different Shaolin films that um, uh, uh, Dong Chur did with uh, Lao Kar Long as the action choreographer, but of course also Lao Kar Long's Executioners of Shaolin. Some of those films from uh, Dong Chur are like Five Shaolin Masters. Um, uh, Her the Heroes 2 uh, is another one. They did a whole bunch of these films. So it's a uh, kind of period of history that uh, they are going to uh, and kind of drawing from that well over and over again. So for instance, Execution of Shaolin, the title, uh, the Chinese title of that film is Hong Shiguan, who uh, is the character played by Chen Kuantai in that film. They play a minor role in this film. And you also have other kind of real life figures, but figures that have played roles in, uh, or the lead role in other films. Um, shown in this film. So Lu Asai, Tong Qianjian, who, interesting enough, was played by Lao, uh, uh, Gordon Liu in Executioners from Shaolin. And Xian Da is a real-life figure. Uh, supposedly, actually, I read that uh, the Iron-Fisted Monk, uh, Sam Mohong's uh, character, is that same character there. So that's interesting to think. That came out, I believe, just a year before this. Um, and this film really is kind of a pre prequel to a lot of those. This is where you start to see kind of that anti-Qingness in the Shaolin Temple slowly rising. And you can see how it eventually get to a point where uh, the Manchurians, the Qing dynasty, would be like, okay, screw these guys. We got to burn down this temple. And so this film um, kind of starts before those. And you can kind of get inside the temple. A lot of those films don't even need to have like a Shaolin Temple set. They can just start with like some uh, a temple-like structure burning. Um, okay, so this film, uh, first act-wise, I think it's very by the numbers. It starts very similar to Executioners from Shaolin and very similar to uh, a Chang Chur film. Uh, we have um, basically uh, showing a lot of different Manchurian oppression. We're introduced to Gurren Liu, uh, his family, and his friends, and most of those people are not long for the world as they are uh, systemically eliminated um, by uh, by 
kind of the Manchurians. Um, we're introduced to Lolia, who plays the villain here, in a role that is not nearly as memorable as Executioners from Shaolin, uh, playing basically the Manchurian general. Um, so again, we have a lot of kind of stuff that's sort of by the books. If you've seen a lot of these films, a lot of different uh, kind of uh, uh, males uh, that end up getting killed uh, in the resistance. Uh, we even have someone killing himself, throwing himself on the sword rather than giving up names. Uh, I would not blame anyone for mistaking this for a Chong Chur film at this point, um, but even Execution of Shaolin. So it's very, very familiar ground uh, the way this film starts. And But that's not at all why you would uh, necessarily watch this film. That happens in the second act, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but one interesting thing that um, you do get introduced to in the first act is kind of the roles of these institutions. And there's this great line that's spoken uh, where one of the characters... Um, kind of in despair says, oh, I should have learned martial arts. Why did I learn ethics? Um, and that theme is sort of explored throughout of like these different institutions and what they're providing. And it's like, what use is the Shaolin Temple if their martial arts are so great if they're not bringing it to the people or, or it's not being used uh, to fight kind of these evil forces that are around. So that's kind of a theme that sort of uh, pervades in this film, the Shaolin Temple trying to find its place in uh, kind of this struggle where people are, uh, you know, suffering and, and getting oppressed and they have this enormous skill, but they're kind of uh, insulated from the world. Um, yeah, okay, so let's get into the second act. So the second act of this film is long. It is basically the length of the first act and the third act uh, combined. And uh, there's a big reason why, and it's basically the fact that this is kind of the ultimate training movie. It's a film that is dominated by the training. Um, there, it's filled with so many details, and it's thought out so well. And that, that is the appeal of this film. It is the training. Even the, and we'll talk a little bit about the third act, um, about how it may or may not live up to the second act in some ways. Uh, but half of this movie is the training. Uh, there's no woman uh, in this film. I, I realize that uh, maybe there's some in the beginning. I don't know. But this is uh, one of those all kind of long films that is fairly womanless, which is uh, something that actually is kind of uncommon, I think, in a lot of his films. But eventually our hero, uh, played by Gordon Liu, uh, before he even changes his name to Sanda, makes his way to the Shaolin Temple. And it is a journey to get there. Uh, he ends up smuggling himself in with a bunch of um, uh, produce that the monks go out and uh, get in the morning. He's in terrible shape, and so they basically nurse him back to health, and then he starts going through uh, these chambers because he really, really wants to learn um, martial arts so he can, uh, you know, uh, take revenge, essentially. And so uh, this is the core of the film where we have are introduced to the 35 chambers. We don't get to see all of them, but... Uh, and I think they're designed incredibly well. Um, and they're designed in ways that feel very real. Like everyone knows what it's like to kind of like walk over uh, something and try not to fall in the water. But we can imagine kind of like the buoyancy of those things. And they're really visually very well filmed. Um, and they're shown in ways that are like, you know, they're abstract enough that like I haven't done any of these things. But I can imagine exactly what they're like holding two massive uh, pails of water trying to walk up um, while keeping everything steady, otherwise you're going to stab your sides, things like that. So they're just incredibly well um, uh, imagined and uh, executed throughout the film. And I think this is one reason why this could really only be a Shaw Brothers film. 
Shaw Brothers really was the powerhouse at this time, and they're able to provide kind of the necessary um, uh, sets as well as extras, and it really makes this film, uh, gives the film kind of like the scope. It makes it feel bigger. Uh, the fact that we can spend, uh, kind of get this very, very elaborate water setup that they have there, and we don't, we only spend a few minutes in that. It's like if this was a lower budget film and they built that set, they would like be like, no, fuck that. We have to show this uh, for, for like 25 minutes of the film. Uh, the fact that this, uh, that there are 35 chambers, even though we don't see all of them, but the ones that we do see, they're all very, very fully realized, even though obviously we can't spend like 10 minutes on each chamber. So I think that's um, a huge reason. It's just like seeing Gordon Liu being put through these 35 chambers. And this is where we really get into kind of like the training montage uh, thing. Some people have said that this whole second act is basically a training montage. And in some ways that's correct, um, but it's really a training montage that it's done in a very different way than something like Rocky, where we have this pounding music that uh, eventually gets uh, kind of like very glorious and things like that. Um, this one's uh, a lot more of a slow burn. You don't have that kind of like glorious feeling to it, but you really, um, you can really feel all of the different things that he's going through. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so effective. And the visual language that it uses to um, kind of show it, it really is very process oriented and you can see exactly what's going through Gordon Liu's head um, as he's doing this. So just the choice of shots and things like that, it's really well done. And one thing that I really like about the film and the training is once the training is complete or during the training when he's kind of like trying to figure out how to go back to the next challenge, um, everything kind of comes back and it shows the importance of the things that he was doing earlier um, in order to, uh, in, and how that actually applies to something, a new challenge that he's trying to do now or in an actual fight. So for instance, like one of the chambers is kind of developed like peripheral vision without moving your head. So he's basically falling uh, this giant uh, thing while it rocks back and forth but he has uh, kind of these giant things of uh, giant cigars basically at the side of his head. Um, and it looks great. It, it's really, really beautiful to see, but you see his head moving, his eyes moving and things like that. You get like appropriate close-ups. And then at one point later in the film, in the third act, when he is attacked in the funeral, people throw these different darts at him and you immediately know which chamber that was that uh, allowed him to uh, kind of get those skills. So it's very, very process oriented. And given Lau Kar Lung's background as like martial arts director, but also just like a martial arts master at the Hungar style or just uh, martial arts in general, uh, it, it feels like just the the attention to detail. It, it's more deeply felt, I, I guess you would say, because there's training sequences in a lot of films, but there's not a lot that go as long and as detailed as uh, the 36 Chamber does. So in my opinion, this is absolutely the ultimate training film. Uh, I think, um, yeah, and it's interesting to have a film where the ultimate appeal of that ends up being kind of in the middle part of this film rather than uh, kind of like the hook at the beginning, uh, like a great concept film or like this amazing fight at the very end. Because I think in many ways, um, yeah, the training is the core of this film. And if you're to compare the fights with that, the fights are very good, no doubt. But I do think they uh, don't, uh, they are not the part that you're going to remember um, about this movie. And so just so many of these uh, uh, chambers are very well designed. Uh, my favorite is kind of the one I'm talking about where they have to uh, basically take these huge pails of water and walk up there. Um, and I haven't even talked about Goran Lu yet, but he is great in this film. Um, this is 
kind of the star making role that he had there and he just has a great look to him i mean this guy was immediately inducted into the uh, bald guy actor hall of fame um and uh he uh the physical transformation that he has and shaving his head and eventually donning the robes um he just has a great look to the whole character and things like that and because he is a real martial artist and things like that um uh, Tony Rain said that one of the reasons uh, that this film could exist and have all these different really highly skilled martial arts in it is because of Bruce Lee really popularizing that. Um, and so uh, perhaps we can thank uh, Bruce Lee for that uh, because Gordon Liu uh, absolutely can do, or at least he is able to sell to a very high um, level his ability to do all of these different tasks. And so he's this is almost the perfect role that's created for him. And he's someone that didn't did have a long career, but didn't necessarily have success evenly throughout. Um, but he is perfectly suited for this role, um, and I think it's definitely kind of the role that anyone would associate with him. And he's just great. Uh, you get to see him, um, uh, him basically evolve and stuff like that. Um, and it's interesting too. I, I noticed at the beginning of the credits that him and uh, Wang Yu, uh, who was uh, Lao Kar Long's initial lead. Uh, to his earlier films like um, uh, what's called uh, Spiritual Boxer, uh, but also Executioners of Shaolin playing one of the main roles there, is credited on the same screen. It's those two together. Um, but his role here is really rather small, and it's almost like they, uh, Gordon Liu, market corrected him, uh, so to speak, where he, uh, he uh, his performance, is, uh, his ability to do things, I think it's just much... Uh, He's, he's a better star, I would say, especially for someone like Lao Kar Long uh, than Wang Yu. And, you know, they have a very similar martial arts lineage, uh, Lao Kar Long teaching uh, Gordon Liu. And so I think that's one of the reasons, too, uh, he knows exactly how to use him in this film. And I think after Lao Kar Long's career kind of slowed down to some extent, uh, not having those kind of consistent roles is another reason, perhaps, that uh, Gordon Liu goes down. Because if you if you eliminate the roles that uh, he did that are kind of outside the Lao family, uh, there's not a lot that's uh, th there's not as many uh, that really are eye catching in the same way as the work that they did together. Um, yeah, so again, the techniques are uh, very simple, but they're very well designed. Um, and you could contrast this training versus something that came out the same year, something like the Crippled Avengers. And I love those training scenes too, but it's really on a different level there. Uh, those ones, it's almost like, oh, we forged him iron legs and we'd show him struggling a bit. And then like two minutes later, he does it. This one feels like real trials and tribulations. I think, um, you know, some people have done the math on the time. I think it's six or seven years, something like that. But it really feels like it. And that's one of the reasons uh, is because they allowed the second act to go on so long. It's amazing. I mean, uh, it's, it's like uh, it's a very, very uh, interesting structure in that sense. In some ways, it's very a neat third act structure where the Shaolin Temple is the second act. But it's crazy how much longer the second act is than that. Um, so a couple other things I wanted to say, too. Uh, the visual look of the film is great, um, too. A lot of these tasks that he's doing, a lot of the different chambers are very visually oriented and like look great on the camera. Uh, this was uh, the cinematographer for this film was Arthur Wong, who is one of the most accomplished Hong Kong cinematographers. Um, I think he's won something like eight Hong Kong Film Awards. So I, I was listening to some interviews with him. Um, and he was talking a bit about this film. He was just in his early 20s, so very, very early in his career uh, while doing the uh, uh, cinematography for this movie and talking about working with Lao Kar Long and how he like was really trying to create like these very tight and detailed compositions. 
Um, and I think he really succeeds. But one interesting factoid there is that Arthur Wong, apparently, um, I don't know how common or uncommon this was in uh, Hong Kong at the time, but also had a martial arts background and could do a lot of those different flips and things like that. He even said he was trained in sort of the same style as Lao Kar Lung. But just having that knowledge, um, I'd imagine, would benefit tremendously in just like if, if you're not a martial artist, you don't know necessarily what to focus on. Um, but him and Lao Kar Lung do just a tremendous job in translating these into uh Kind of things that we can understand it's like we see all of these like giant basically boxing bags kind of hovering around and we see people headbutting and we can feel the impact and um yeah they just do a great job of uh, fully realizing that and it's almost all visual storytelling this is not a super talky film and i personally love that um and it, that's one thing i like uh, about these martial arts films a lot um okay just a fast thing too uh they do a good job of casting all the different monks uh, apparently these were all people that were not shy of other characters, players, so uh, they sort of pulled from all these different different Hong Kong actors. So you have Lee Hoi Sun in there who plays uh, the Justice Abbot who gets to fight Gordon Liu a couple times. They have a couple great fight scenes there. You also have Sai Bin Yuan, uh, none other than Yuan Wu Ping's dad, who of course uh, in just a couple months from then would star in none other than Snake in the Eagle Shadow and later that year Drunken Master who would become a star for a very brief amount of time before passing away sadly uh, a couple of years later and so you know uh this film um a lot of uh the Lao Kar Lung films too uh one of the core themes throughout his filmography is about kind of teacher and disciple how information uh how martial arts is learned and how it's passed down and what better film to really showcase this um and just show uh kind of the leadership uh because uh Gordon Liu's character could not achieve what he can uh, what he does in the film without sort of the guidance of his teachers, but he also does a lot of learning on its own. So it's very detailed and kind of like showing how he figures different things out. At one point, he has to fight Li Hui San's character, and uh, he basically needs three tries to eventually beat him. And you just see his thought process kind of uh, working out in the field on like how to beat his two swords that he's carrying around. Um, and so he basically designs a new weapon, a three-sections um, staff, I think is what it's called, um, that's able to uh, allow him to use techniques to eventually beat Li Hoi San. And that's not the first time it plays off that, because not only does Li Hoi San's character like to use that kind of two-sword style, but Lo and Lia's character, who ends up having the uh, finale fight versus Gordon Liu, uses um, two swords as well. And so out comes that three-section staff again, and we get to see uh, another great fight. And it all kind of comes back. So it's all those little detailed things that are pretty clear. They're not like, you don't have to be paying that close of attention to pull everything out. Uh, the film, again, it's very well told in a very, very self-explanatory in a way that uh, people aren't necessarily, people should not be uh, confused um, about this film. Um, okay, so yeah, let's see. Uh, and so let's get into um, kind of the last act there. Uh, so eventually Gordon Liu's character wants to kind of go back in the real world. Well, we know that uh, he really kind of, we have to come back to the kind of that first act where the Manchurians are impressing people and come back to some of those uh, things that were introduced there. Um, and so he's extremely successful in this training and they're like, okay, great. So which chamber do you want to lead? And so he suggests creating a 36 chamber which is to teach laymen uh, kind of the Shaolin martial arts so they can basically kind of fight the oppressors, fight the Qing dynasty. 
And so uh, that idea uh, is certainly kind of controversial within the temple and people, um, so he's basically kind of cast out uh, for a time being. And it's a little unclear if that's punishment or if they're kind of like secretly nodding along and giving him what he wants. I think to some extent, I, I, I interpret it more with the latter that they are, uh, that they're like, okay, you're punished. So go do exactly what you wanted to do. So he basically goes back into the real world and starts to recruit people. And here's where we're introduced to some of those figures that I talked about earlier. People like Hong Shi Guan, Tong Chen Jin, uh, San De, or well, not San De, Lua Sai. So he recruits all of these different people to the cause. Uh, and here's where we have a bunch more fights. So up until this point, we have a fight at the beginning with Lao Kar Wing versus Lo Lia. Lao Kar Wing is uh, Lao Kar Long's brother. Um, that's a pretty good fight. Um, and then we have the fights with Li Hui San. But this is a film that is not dense with fights. They're not evenly spread out. And then at the end, we have a bunch of different fights. So one of the first ones we have is at the graveyard where we get in introduced to Hong Shi Guan's character and uh, Gordon Liu steps in. Uh, I think he's visiting his family's grave or something along those lines after finding kind of like uh, the devastation at his home village. And so he basically helps Hong Shi Guan fight off uh, the Manchurians um, and talks to the character. And so he ends up recruiting more and more. Throughout all these fights, we are going back uh, and forth uh, and we're seeing kind of like that training that benefited him uh, at this point. So it's very, very clearly told. Um, and then uh, eventually he does fight Lolia. And so one interesting thing is, of course, he beats Lolia in the in the end. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a very different part from Executions from Shaolin for Lolia. He does not have the vacuum-sucking crotch. He doesn't have the cackling, cocky, asshole villain that he plays in that film. This one's a very much uh, kind of by the numbers. This one could have been played by Wang Long, Wing Long Wai, for instance. Um, it's a much more simple role. Uh, I do like Lolia in this, but, uh, you know, it, it's not probably uh, one of his more iconic roles in the way that Executioners is. Um and so, interestingly, he they fight, and of course, uh, Gordon Liu's character wins, and he ends in kind of this very interesting manner where he's using his head to fight him, and it ends in kind of like these weird uh, freeze frames that we have. Unlike a Zhang Zhe film, it doesn't linger on the violence or show like extreme uh, blood, uh, or even compared to something like Execution of Shaolin. And usually on these Shaw Brothers films, it's just going to end. It's going to end right there. It's These films are famous for having very fast in fight scene to credits. It's like, okay, 10 seconds, the end, uh, on some silly freeze frame or something like that. But instead of that, uh, the final glory here isn't the death or a defeat of Lo Lea's character. Uh, rather, it, it goes to another scene, and that is the creation of the 36th chamber. So the thing that, uh, like how important, the revenge is not the ultimate goal in this film. It's about um, kind of creating uh, this chamber, bringing martial arts to the people. And that that I see as kind of like one of the central core messages. And it, again, it goes back to kind of that big Lao Kar Long theme of information being passed down from teacher to disciple uh, and being taught and being used in a way that is righteous. So very much kind of like martial arts philosophy um, as I understand it. I mean, again, I'm not a martial artist, so uh, I, I guess I can't speak with that much authority there, but that's how I, I tend to interpret this. So the final um, kind of message of this film isn't necessarily, yeah, revenge, fuck yeah, uh, in the way that a lot of um, uh, Chang Chur's film was are where everyone dies, including the hero. Um, instead, it's about kind of like creating this ch chamber to create kind of like these new uh, righteous rebels. 
Um, and uh, okay, so let's just talk a little bit. Uh, I think that concludes most of the thoughts on the film. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Lao Kar Long did not believe this film needed a sequel. This is all from kind of Tony Raines, who I think knew Lao Kar Long, or at least was very, very familiar with kind of um, his work and the context around them. Uh, he did eventually create two more films at least uh, that would properly be considered uh, um, sequels that have 36 chambers in the name Return to the 36 Chamber and Disciples of the 36 Chamber. Disciples is definitely a bit more of a sequel than the other one. Uh, that's where Gordon Liu does play the Sanda character again. It's one of the very, very last Shaw Brothers films. I think it is kind of like the last uh, real Shaw Brothers film that Lao Kan Long did. He did Martial Arts of Shaolin and I think Drunken Monkey later, but those ones are, uh, those ones don't have the same kind of feel that you're going to get from uh, kind of the, the more core uh, Shaw Brothers films there. And I think a big reason why he didn't necessarily want to do sequels is basically because they had already been made either with Zhang Zhe or with something like Executioners from Shaolin. So he didn't want to just continue to milk that same material. His career in comparison to someone like Zhang Zhe uh, is a lot more varied. He wanted to mix up and try different projects and things like that. In fact, one of the other films that he did uh, in the same year, Heroes of the East, um, is really a wonderful film and completely different from 36 Chambers of Shaolin. So he's someone that, um, you know, you can watch this film and you definitely get one piece of kind of understanding of kind of who Lau Kar Long is as a filmmaker, but he has, he has a lot of different, um, uh, he has multitudes. There's a lot of different things to uh, enjoy there. So again, I think this is a great starting point for Lau Kar Long. I think this is definitely one of the best, um, <laughs> this might be lower than most people would put it, but I think this is definitely one of the best 10 to 20 uh, Shaw Brothers films, uh, in my opinion. But there are uh, other ones that I regard just as highly, uh, if not higher, uh, from the director. Uh, nevertheless, it, it's a great film um, and would definitely be in my kind of Mount Rushmore, my top four of Lao Kar Long. Uh, at the very least. Okay, so that concludes this episode. Let me know how you liked it. You can email me at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com or tweet zafilmtofilm. Um, yeah, so next up, uh, we will be talking um, about, let's see, uh, the uh, choreography and then uh, Marshall Club. So uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. We will, uh, I will see you all next time.